welcome to Studio Meat Live. Well, that was David and Dorinda Reby. We'll be interviewing them coming up in just a few moments, so stick around and we'll talk more with uh, Dave and Dorinda. This is David and Sherry Burns of Long Lane Honeybee Farms with Studio Be Live. Hi, Sherry. Hello. How is everybody? Congratulations to Dave and Dorinda. Wow. Yeah, I met them last year as they were starting into the Master Beekeeper certification process, and uh, they knocked a bunch of them out last year and finished them all up this year, and they were excited, and, you know, I was really happy for them. It was great. They're uh, great people, and they really deserve to be Master Beekeepers, so that was it was fun spending the week with them, and we went out for supper a couple of times with them, and... and uh, oh, we're talking about the Eastern Apicultural Society meeting that went on. In Rhode Island last week, met a lot of friends, old friends, made some new friends. Some people recognized me for being online, and if you were there, Sherry, they would have all recognized us, but you didn't make it. <laughs> Why would they recognize me? Well, you're the better looking one of us, oh. so I just blend in with all the other ugly men. <laughs> yeah. All the other bearded old beekeepers. Yeah. Um, well, you know, while you were there, you got to um, test some new master beekeepers, so tell us. Kind of what that was like. It was a challenge, you know, because uh, they asked me to to participate in testing a couple of people on their oral test and a couple of people in the field. So hmm. it was nice being on the other side of things. When you're being tested, then it's kind of stressful and you're worried about how well you'll do. But uh, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And I was just thrilled to be there. I love the EAS. It's going to be in Vermont next year. And I love the people, I love the talks, and, you know, everybody that's known in beekeeping is there, all the famous speakers, just to have breakfast, lunch, supper, talk bees forever. I went with my son-in-law, Dustin. We flew out to Rhode Island together and stayed in the same hotel, and he's a great guy. We had a lot of fun together, and Sherry, some nights we were just so tired at 10 o'clock when we made it back, you know, and we were like, okay, we're going to go right to bed, but we stayed up to like 1.30 and talked, and... But it was just it was just fun. Anybody thinking about going next year, you got to do it. And especially those of you in the New England states area, just come on, you know, to Vermont and enjoy. I think it's in August. You have to look on the site. Just Google Eastern Apicultural Society, and and you can learn a lot. And there's more than just that, though. I mean, people can also go to the HAS, which we just went to in July, which is the Heartland Apicultural Society, and that's for the midsection of the U.S., I guess. And then there's also a Western Apicultural Society meeting for those of you who live out west of the Mississippi. And then once a year, everybody can, well, anybody can go to any of those, but then there's one national one, I guess, American Beef Federation. So between that and between your local state association meetings and whatever your beef, keeping clubs have there isn't any reason david for anybody not to know how to beekeep (laughs) yeah there's a lot of educational opportunities speaking of which we had a ton of educational classes that we offered all year long and we have two more coming up 
But we had a lot of fun teaching new beginner classes, a couple, two or three queen rearing classes, and I think we had one or two advanced beekeeping classes this year. And we had all those special two-hour night classes on Friday nights. Those were just great. Wow, we spent some time educating people. Yeah, and we've got one more beginner's beekeeping class coming up in October, so check that out on site. But we've got a very exciting one that people need to look into. And, of course, this is, this is August 2011. So oh, it's not just August, but it's August 3rd. Well, it's August 3rd, which means, which is? Which means it's our anniversary. <laughs> which means David and I have been married for 31 years now. Which seems like forever, which is weird. <laughs> well, well, thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, 31 years sounds like a long time, but I'm only 35. <laughs> you look you know? 35. And you're only 37, so I don't know how we could possibly have managed 31 years. But that's, that's, that's a few decades. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and we've had children throughout all those decades. Yeah. But anyway, as I was saying, this is August of 2011, so those of you who are not going to be listening to this iPod in a timely fashion. This isn't going to apply to him, but we have got a, a brand new offering that we're ex- very, very excited about, David, and it's a uh, natural, sustainable, organic, hippie, <laughs> crunchy, crunchy. Uh, beekeeping course. And we, we are really, really excited about that one. That one's going to be in October at, um, is it the Farm Bureau mm-hmm. in Champaign? Oh, in Danville. It, it's in Danville? Yeah, you know, it's closer to us. Nobody cares. It's in Dan- Danville. It's got plenty of hotels, places to eat. So I just booked it in Danville. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's going to be in Danville. So any of those, any of you who are looking at, uh, David and I have always been natural, sustainable people, even though we do Langstroth's. So you're going to find out some myths that surround the whole natural, organic, sustainable beekeeping um movement but you're also going to find out how you can do it and we're going to be doing all all several different types of beehives and introducing several different beehives you want to tell them about that you know we started uh we actually researched top bar hives for quite a while but we actually are running one now and our son-in-law dustin he's running four or five of them so that's giving us experience in how they're doing and so we can help teach people but another one is the worry hive and uh, that's a real interesting hive. I don't have time now to explain it, but we want to teach on that. That is a very natural type beekeeping environment. I'll be speaking in St. Louis at Three Rivers um, Beekeepers Association. I think that's what it's called in St. Louis, um, September. <laughs> I looked at the calendar first. Sherry's like, this is the first she's heard of that. But I looked at the calendar, and it was clear for that day. It was well, like a Tuesday or what something. What are you going to talk about at that meeting? Uh, sustainable natural beekeeping. Oh. It's, it's just a, I'm just a, one of the keynote speakers. It won't be like an all-day thing. Okay, but also for those of you, though, who still run Langstroth, you can do natural, sustainable, organic, hippie, crunchy, <laughs> whatever you want to call it beekeeping in a laying straw so don't so don't think that disqualifies you or don't think that oh my gosh now i have to go out and buy a different kind of beehive because you don't have to you know it can all be done in the same it can be done in any of these different kinds so so we'll introduce you to at least three different types of um beehives and we'll talk a little bit about that but that's that's one class that a lot of people i think are going to want to sign up for so 
you need to get on that boat and, and do that as soon as you can. You know, it sounds like a lot of fun because uh, I think people are fed up with chemicals. They're, uh, they're fed up with <laughs> just trying to do it the traditional way. And you, when you taught at Heartland, or, uh, yeah, was it Heartland? <laughs> That's confusing to me because I teach at Heartland College in Bloomington, but we were down in Indiana at the Heartland Apicultural Society. I get those two confused. But when you taught at HAS, you said there were a lot of people in your class that were people who were natural. They kind of despised the whole Langstroth idea, didn't they? Yeah, and, and that's one of the myths that we're going to talk about, the fact that, you know, people think if you do natural sustainable, that equals top bar hive. And that does not have to equal top bar hive. You know, you can do natural sustainable in any kind of beehive. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that is one of the, the things that we're going to talk about. Oh, that's good. Um, I, I guess I was thinking about how exciting it's going to be because we'll talk about natural ways to combat pests and diseases and we'll talk about how you know just practical things about how often should you you know is it is it bad to interrupt your hive often and should you just let them go and um, how do you prevent chemicals that maybe you're not putting in the hive but chemicals around your farm area how do you keep chemicals out of your hive so it'd be a fantastic uh, sustainable natural beekeeping class, and it's going to be October the 15th uh, in Danville, Illinois. Hopefully, I'll have it online and our, under our class page uh, by the time people are listening to the podcast here, too. So, we're looking forward to that, and that's going to be good. Great. Sherry, it's been very hot. The whole nation, for the most part, is just hot. Have you been staying warm, or how you been dealing with it? Now, I was just looking out this window here. We have a bird bath right outside the window that we keep water in for the bees, and it's just the every bee in the property is right outside the window on the bird bath, and we have buckets out there with water in it, and and. Oh, sometimes we have things out there with water in it that we shouldn't have out there with water in it, and and that's one thing that people ought to realize too. You don't you don't want to have sour buckets of things sitting mm. around, you know, at this time of year. Even you know, especially if it's if it's some sort of chemical or you know antifreeze, or you just change the oil in your car, or you've got a sour bucket of paint. fermented yeah you know, paint or something like that, because those bees are you know they've got to have some water. And some and some folks are not providing that for their bees, and, and the bees are, are going to substances that they should not be going to. So, so watch out for that, folks, because it is way, way, way too hot out there. But I think the last time we did a podcast, I think we were sitting here freezing our fannies off, actually. Oh, yeah. All of our listeners, all 12 of them, have reminded me, we didn't, haven't done one since February. So, so it feels good for those of you that have been... You know your your pot your studio B Live podcast junkies. Now you're getting your fix, and I know you, it feels good to you. But it has been hot. Uh, I was reading on on the on the internet. It says on Tuesday, yesterday, Dallas saw the mercury exceed the century mark for the 32nd consecutive days, the 39th day this summer. It's been over 100 degrees. I talked to a customer today in Texas. She said the high today, not the heat index, the high today is 109 degrees. Their elm trees 
are burned up. The leaves are brown and shriveled up. Wow. Well, well, tell us because because you mentioned your your customer from Texas. We do have a lot of Texan customers. We really, really do. Um, it's a big state. So, it, but they they are calling in saying it's so hot down here and there's not one flower to be had and and I don't know what should I feed them and if so, you know, doesn't that water in the feeders get hot very very quickly and how can I can I pour water over the top of my hive? What do I do? So. Why don't you address that? You know, I, you just got to find shade. I, I take pieces of plywood and lean them against the uh, west side of the hive so the, the afternoon sun doesn't beat upon them. If I walk past the ones that are close to the house or even the ones far away, if they're just humming really loud because they buzz to cool with their wings, you know, I'll take your little garden water and fill it up and just pour water all over the outside of the hive to my, cool them off. My water garden. You know, the, the little... Oh, the waterer. Yeah. Okay. That little green thing that you can fill up and then yeah. look like a little... So it is okay to take a water hose and yeah and do that. And, and people do that with chicken coops, too. You know, oh, it gets they? to be too hot. You yeah. just, you know, you just... Sure. Spray the top of your chicken coop with a water hose, so you get. So you're saying it's okay to do that with a mm-hmm. beehive too, and um, only the outside. Don't get any water on the inside. And try to provide shade. Of course, don't pick up your hive and move it to the shade. No. You know you gotta you gotta bring the shade to your hive at this point. And then and then what about water getting too hot in the feeders? Sugar water, I guess, is what I'm saying in the feeders. That sort of stuff. Does it get too hot and mold too quick or? No, that's not a problem. It would, I guess it could get too hot, sure. I mean, you know, no one wants to drink hot, hot, hot water. Bees might be turned off by it, but um, they'll find water in the shade, but you need to put your water waterers in the in the shade so they can go there and get cooler water. And when I was testing one of the master beekeepers a- applicants in the field, um, you know, we have a sheet by which we have to ask all these questions, but I observed, Sherry, a frame of fruit, that had glistening of water, you know, there's a hexagon shape to every cell. And so when they're capped off, it kind of indents just a hair around the capping in a hexagon groove. Each one of those grooves had traces of water glistening in the sun. So I asked the, you know, I told the guy, I tried to put him at ease, and I said, you know, this isn't for credit or it's not going to go against you, but do you see that glistening water around the each cell? What is that? He didn't really know. And I said, it's so hot out here. They're actually putting water in the brood to cool the brood. It evaporates and cools. And the same thing happens when you pour water on a hive. Or, For example, if we're really hot and we hose each other down with cold water, when the water dries off of us, it takes the heat away too. So it, there's a, it really does a lot to pour water a couple of times a day in the afternoon on your hive. Plus, they can gather the water dripping on the front and on the bottom board and help cool the whole place down. Um. The customer also said that they felt like since everything was burned up and there was no flowers, that meant that there was no pollen and they, they didn't have any pollen in the hive. Do you recommend pollen um, substitutes or, or um, pollen replacement uh, patties right now or not? Um, it would be tough in Texas. Small hive beetle is such a problem. It would be such an attractant to the small hive beetle, the pollen would be. But, uh, yeah, you could. If you have to do that, use very small parts of the pollen patty. Only use a four-inch section of it at a time so the bees can protect it and cover it and keep a beetle from laying eggs all over it. And um, you could do that. Chances are they're probably not going to go crazy over it because there is stuff out there. 
you know, they can fly three or four or six miles away if they have to, and they'll fly around until they find a big shady forest that's still got some flowers in it maybe. But I don't know. There's no good solution to drought. I will say, though, that oftentimes bees bees really do better when it is warm, uh, when it's hot outside, um, because it's drier and it doesn't rain as much. And some beekeepers say they got the most honey on uh, real dry years, so that's possible too. Oh, Sherry, there's been so many people emailing me saying, when are you going to do another podcast? And one of them, well, one of among, among many, is uh, a fellow by the name of Kenny. And Kenny knows Dave and Dorinda. And uh, he emailed me a few times and said, hey, I heard you were in, uh, you know, EAS. And, um, and he, he has a couple of questions for us. And uh, I don't think I'll read all of them. He's got like three or four questions. But maybe it would be fun to look at one of them and see what he uh, says here. He says, I had a hive. It was nasty. So I wanted to replace the queen. I separated the three deeps after not being able to find the queen. Long story short, I found the queen in one box. One of the other boxes raised good queen from known good carny eggs. And the third raised a queen that now is laying multiple eggs in a cell. I know there is a queen because I marked her last night when I saw the issue. Also, there is some normal brood in the hive, not a mess as would be from a laying worker. I'm not too worried about the box. I can remove her and combine it with my drone mother hive. I have plenty of options there, but how long would you give her to get her act together? She's a bit on the small size if that matters, but I'm a firm believer that size doesn't matter. That make any sense to you? Sure. Oh, really? What would you say? <laughs> I got lost. I got lost a little bit. Well, no, I mean, I, I thought you meant that last statement about oh, size doesn't oh, yeah. matter. I yeah. said that, you know, I, I can agree with that. But I, I, I don't know what you're going to say, but my first reaction is this is August the 3rd. You know, depending on where this person lives, my goodness, we've got a couple of more months yet of really nice weather. Yeah. You know, we're still going to have another nectar flow here, hopefully, if the drought doesn't completely, you know, kill everything. So, you know, wait. You know, I, I have had a lot of customers who are already wanting to combine hives and they're wanting to do this. I don't think that's a good idea right now, do you? Mm-mm. You know, I, well, to give up, you mean, and, and yeah. throw the towel in? Yeah, no, I don't yeah. either. You Goodness, no. July and August. Oh, no, no. Because here in Illinois, we have a, sometimes we have a strong flow of aster, goldenrod in the fall, and all the flowers bloom again in the fall. The fall uh, flowers are just beautiful and full of nectar. So let those bees keep working. You know, we've gotten to about the second week in October before things really slow down, you know, in, in Illinois. Places can be different, but no, keep, let it go. Keep working them. Let them work. Well, it used to be that July was still summer. <laughs> In August was still summer, but you know I think as time has gone on, David, and, and we start seeing all the fall clothes coming out in the stores in June. You know, and you can't buy a bathing suit anymore in July, and they start running those back to school specials. You know, at the the first of August, and 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 then you get those notices in the mail that you know, oh, school's going to start here in ten days. I think people give up and say, okay, that's it, it's fall, <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> 
Well, that's true, and 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 I, I think we hammer so much though that you know you got to get your your hives going and get them ready for winter, get them built up, and so most people feel like, boy, by time you know I get into July and August, I need to really be headed toward winter and getting things built up. But I, I fed I've I've taken really little weak hives and fed them heavily in September and October and built them up to a huge number and got them through the winter. So it's not too late to make things happen. You know, don't give up just yet. Stay with it. So thanks, Kenny. I'll email you the other answers to all your other questions. And um, let's why don't, while we're talking about Kenny, since he knows Dave and Dorinda, why don't we stop a minute and do? Uh, I, I, when I was at EAS, I recorded them together. So uh, getting their EAS Master Beekeeper certification. So let's take a moment and just slip into an interview with uh, Dave and Dorinda. Well, here we are at Road at the Eastern Apicultural Society conference, and uh, been interviewing some people. And today, I have some good friends with me that I met last year as we were taking our master beekeeping certification. And I'm with David and Dorinda Freeby. And uh, guys, you guys are super. You've been such an inspiration to me. And I know last year I was so encouraged by meeting you and just sharing uh and we've become good friends and congratulations you both achieved the certification today and i'm just really happy for you guys thank you very much yeah. David. so i just i just want to hand you the microphone and just tell us what your experience has been like uh you know what kind of things have you gone through uh good bad and and uh just otherwise how has it been like for you both well i I won't speak for my wife. I'll let her have a turn okay, here. Sure. And, uh, yeah, hold that kind of close up but there. The, uh, the whole experience is, has been really tremendous. Uh, we understood when we began this uh, adventure, this mountain climbing, you know, intellectual mountain climbing, yeah. uh, in 2009 that it was going to be a long journey. And we set our minds to uh, studying and, and we're blessed along the way by having some good direction on what material to look at and how to approach it at, at a college level to uh, to be able to go and take these examinations and, mm-hmm. and, and do well. And and uh, both my wife and I just uh, put our time in, in our own way and our own style. And then, of course, we had the we had the luxury of both doing it at the same time, so we could sort through it together and ask questions together and disagree and agree and and. Uh, mm-hmm. And then have our own experiences in our own bee yard and talk about those. And uh, and so, uh, you know, it was a, a serious effort of dedicated study, uh, you know, from 2009 till till really just today. And uh, and now we really have a lot of study to do because there's so much to know and there's going to be a lot yeah. expected of us. So, but we used it as an exercise to uh, to find out what our beekeeping knowledge is and find out t- today what you really need to know to, to be a good beekeeper today and that's how we approached it and and uh it's really kind of satisfying to feel that right now we're not going to stay here long we're going to keep pressing yeah, on yeah what do you think and, and you know I, th- I think it's really neat too because you both accomplished it at the same year i wonder if there'd been any tension in the marriage had one of you got it and the other not oh my goodness 
Yes, David, there were some people our very first year when we were setting off to EAS, uh, a gentleman that we pollinate for said to us, oh my goodness, I just don't know what will happen if one of you gets it and not the other. And we both laughed. He said, neither one of us will get it this first try. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't about achieving yeah. that goal the first year. This really is about going. And we did really have this this mutual goal of just setting out to find out what were the most important baseline things you had to know to be a really good beekeeper. How do you get to be really well-rounded at that level where you could teach someone else? Because we have taught bee school before and because we are in contact with people all the time that either want help with their hives or answers to questions because they are the non-beekeeping public, we felt a, a certain responsibility to step up to that and take ourselves to another level and be able to be a resource to other people at that next level. We weren't sure we could achieve it, but it was really fun to do this together. And it was challenging in our marriage. Mm Any time that I felt like my husband was getting a little bit ahead of me, I might be a little resentful of the time that he could Mm -hmm. spend uh, doing this. And he would ask me challenging questions that I found frustrating when I'd be trying (laughs) to think about something else about beekeeping. No, honey, this is where the focus needs to be right (laughs) now. But, man, pushing each other this way, really brought, I feel really brought out the best in us. Mm -hmm. And we're just so thankful for that and so thankful that we can stand here today doing this together. Mm. And we know that, you know, we know that this is something that the Lord has set our feet on Mm -hmm. and we know that he has a lot of work yet for us to do. So Mm -hmm. we see this as just a beginning and we really appreciate that you take the time to ask us these important questions. It's it's interesting too because as, as I hold this microphone in your face, that's part of the Master Beekeeper certification. You've got to go through the orals where they hold a microphone in your face and you know have some scenario that's kind of role play. But, you know, one of the things I want to talk about, too, is that, you know, we can talk about the certification, and I'm sure people listening are interested in that part of it. You know, I might do that. What's involved? But they can look on the website. What's interesting to me and what I like about it is you meet people. I know I met you guys you start to have connections. You start to feel a, a family. More than a family, you just start being connected. And there's a com- more than a camaraderie. It's just something that has tied us all together. And uh, when someone doesn't make the certification, we all hurt with them. We all want to we want to come around them and encourage them. So they'll be back next year to you know retest again. Um, David, talk a little bit about that. What, what's, what's relationships like uh, in the whole process for you? <clears throat> well, it, we really stand amazed at the folks who've come around us and encouraged us. And, you know, we really started last year in Boone, North Carolina, on our first experience taking <clears throat> these exams. And, and they were folk we just met the first time, and they were excited for us, and they were interested in what the process was all about. And... And we found that people we had just met and got to know through the week that they were they were cheering us on and that that was encouraging and lifted our spirits you included and uh and then this year we had made friends last year, so we saw lots of people we we knew and uh folks who knew we had taken exam some exams last year were continued to cheer us on and wish us well and uh and certainly all that's needed when you you face the uh the intensity of these kinds of tests. Uh, they're probably the most challenging exams I've ever taken. I've taken quite a few in, in my career getting educated in other things. So uh, what would you think, Dorinda? 
Well, I would have to agree with you, David, because the people here have been so encouraging. And, and to come back, and I was surprised how many people I could remember, because I haven't seen them in a year. And just to see all those really warm, encouraging smiles, there's just a spirit in this EAS organization that can't be matched. People really know what you're going through. We are all going through the same things, the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're you're a beekeeper or the researchers and educators that come. They are warm with you. They treat you like another beekeeper. I'm so impressed by that. I'm humbled by it and I'm inspired by it. And it, it has been great to get to know you better, David. And I know you've got uh, quite a voice in the beekeeping world. And it, it's an honor. And I believe that this has all been knit together in, in a very special way and a special purpose. And it is an honor to be a member of this great organization. Yes, we look forward to what we can do going into the future to help be this, this for this to be the best it can possibly be. And uh, one of the things that really encourages me is that <clears throat> there's a spiritual connection. And we've talked about this. So many beekeepers and so many people that we encounter at these conferences are Christians. And uh, we start talking and pretty soon you realize, you know, something they said I think he's a Christian. I, you know, and we start, oh, you are? And it's amazing as we go and talk to more people. And then we think about Reverend Langstroth, you know, how the Lord used him to, to identify bee space and the removable frames. And it's, it's as if God chooses those who have a spiritual open mind to the Lord to say, hey, take care of my creation and there are some of us that are just called to take care of specific parts of creation, like the honeybee. And I really believe that is a spiritual calling, yes. that, that we would learn and grow and encourage one another. Um, speak a little bit about the spiritual aspect. You said that so well. I'm not sure I can say too much more about it, David. But, but honestly, when I, when I first started with beekeeping, I, my only intention was to have a single hive. I kept bees helping my grandfather keep bees as a very little girl. And I just wanted to have some pollinators in my yard. But the Lord had other plans for me, and he made that rapidly apparent. And he set my feet on that path. He gave me all the encouragement and the information I needed to get started. I would say the spiritual things came in a little bit later. The more knowledge I had, the more challenged I felt by the knowledge that I had. I, I felt that there were forces that didn't want me to succeed. And that only encouraged me. <laughs> I knew, I, I began to realize how important the bees were in God's creation and how important my role to, to learn to be the very best beekeeper, to keep them without detriment, as, as Dr. Clarence Collison says in one of his descriptions. And so I knew that even, even if I didn't think I could do it, that the Lord would give me the courage and he would give me the strength and he would take me to where he wanted me to be. That's mm -hmm. And so, press on. Oh, yeah. Good. Very inspiring. Uh, we were talking earlier about some of the humor or the funny things that happen uh, at, at the testing today. Talk a little bit about that because, you know, I have taken the course, the course, and been certified. And I can remember, not you know, just a year ago, how tense mm -hmm. and how wired you are going into that, you know, because you don't know what's going to be on the lab tables. And they change it every year. You don't know what the questions are going to be. And you're just kind of like, uh, uh. <laughs> and you want to you be, you want to identify things. And, and so today something very funny happened. 
with you, Dorinda, when you were talking about uh, uh, what you saw on the table. Oh, that is so funny, David. I was tense when I first went in. I was I was with someone else I was taking the exam with, and we'd had to wait a few minutes to get started with the exam. I went in and sat at the first station that I could see and identified something and just automatically moved forward to the next set of tables. I didn't even look to see if there was a number there. There's a number besides every exhibit. You're supposed to be carefully matching these up before you put an answer on your paper. And there was a flashlight. It had somebody's name on it. And I just turned that thing over and over, and I looked at it, and I turned it on, and I just thought to myself, well, <laughs> what could this possibly be? <laughs> and, and honestly, if Dr. Collison didn't just let me sit there and look at that for a good long time, yeah. six, seven, eight minutes, I don't know how long it was before he just came over and whispered to me, that's a flashlight, <laughs> and directed me to the next station. And I felt so ridiculous. But then when someone else later on in the exam was examining my my own husband's pencil sharpener right next door for a good length of time, and I couldn't say anything. At least Dr. Colson came and rescued him, too, and just said, that's a pencil sharpener. But it definitely shows the intensity with which we are trying to accurately identify the objects placed in front of us in the lab exam. Oh, yeah. And what do you think the hardest thing to identify in the lab was? Wow, it might have been your slide, David. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I was hoping it would have been like that little piece of string with the wire in the oh, middle. That was easy. That was easy? I've made before. Yeah, you got the candle part, and that's amazing. Um, it, it is um, just fun to be with people and to be here. And it's, uh, you know, now that the week's over, we've had our banquet, and it was uh, such a privilege to see you guys receive your certifications. And and wearing these pins, you know. And then you you can't wait until next year in Vermont to wear this, you know. And it's just like, it's just, uh, I can imagine how generals feel when they finally get extra extra stripes, you know. And it's just great. but I, I just want to say you guys have been a true blessing for me, encouragement, and uh, feel like we're family, even yeah. though we're all far yeah. from home. Yeah. And uh, yeah, tell us where you live. I, I don't know much about exactly where you live. What, where do you live near? What's your home like? What's your What's your daily routine like? Well, we live in southern New Hampshire, a town called Raymond. It's between Manchester and Exeter. Uh, we're about 25 minutes from the the seacoast in New Hampshire, about 14 miles of seacoast. Um, we're blessed in New England. We have four real distinct, beautiful seasons, uh, spring, summer, winter, and fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, we typically have two, one good nectar flow and then another one uh, later in the season for our bees. Um, we uh, we have uh, two children. They're both adults. Uh, my daughter uh, lives in Mississippi. She's married to uh, a doctor, Dr. Jake Brown, his OBGYN doctor, and that was all recent. We've had a busy year traveling around with these yeah. things, and yeah. we're blessed. We're blessed and really thankful for that. And uh, our son Matthew lives at home with us, and uh, mm-hmm. he's a small engine tech at a at a farm tractor uh, engine place, a chap family run business on, in the na- neighboring town, and mm-hmm. and we have uh, right now we just have two. Uh, Two yards uh, where we're keeping bees uh, in, a, in our home yard, and uh, we have colonies that we keep permanently on a certified organic farm. There's actually a couple operations that are going on up there um, where our bees uh, will uh, pollinate uh, the fruit trees and 70 some odd 
uh, fruit trees. Some of them are pretty exotic, especially the mulberry tree. I don't know if you've ever seen a mulberry tree. Oh, yeah. How many mulberries come off a mulberry tree? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And by the way, for for a delicious treat sometime, get some black raspberry ice cream, some mulberries, and some chocolate sauce. Mmm, boy, oh, is that yeah. good. <laughs> Fresh <laughs> mulberries. Mm. Um, and so uh, we do have another location where occasionally we we put some colonies where we have three yards as necessary and. And daily life for us, uh, I'm I'm an engineer for a telecommunications company for Alcatel-Lucent. I've been doing that 33 years, so mm-hmm. I get up and go to work and work with a fine, fine bunch of people uh, yeah. that I've worked with for a long time. And, and Dorinda's a dental hygienist, and her day is... I, I work right in Raymond. I'm a dental hygienist for uh, Dr. Paul Silver. Uh, it's just an, an amazing experience to live and work in the same community mm. where our children went to school. We've been very active in our church there. Mm. It it really is just a complete community kind of a thing. Many of my honey customers and the customers that purchase our, our hand creams and our lip balms are our friends and neighbors in the community, and it's given mm. us such an opportunity to be able to be, again, ambassadors for the bees. Mm-hmm. People call us when there's going to be something going on as far as spraying in our community so that we can take the appropriate measures. Um, many people in the town office have supported our bees. They ask good questions. They they want to know. One, one woman there, her daughter was starting a garden for the first time, so she wanted to know, what should I plant mm-hmm. that would help the bees? Isn't that great? I really thought that was great. So this it has been a blessing to be there. We both grew up in New England. We lived away, out toward you. We lived in outside the Chicago area for a we while. It, it drew us back, though, and, and uh, we were very glad. Well, that was good to hear from Dave and Dorinda. And uh, like I said, they're really good friends, and uh, they make our EAS conferences. They, they allow me a, a chance to hang out with some established friendships and eat out together and have fun, and that was great. I look forward to seeing them again. Hopefully we can stay connected throughout the whole year as well, and we'd like to welcome them to the new, as new members of the Master Beekeepers of the Eastern Apicultural Society. And I don't know their phone number, but if you can't get through to Long Lane Honey Bee Farms with your beekeeping questions, you can call Dave and Dorinda. <laughs> <laughs> Please, right? <laughs> Please call them, especially oh. between the months of February, March, April, and May. <laughs> They'll kill you for saying that. But you should proceed it by saying, you know, I was going to call David and Sherry and be one of the hundred people a day that call them about questions, but I decided I would call you because they spoke highly of you. Right. <laughs> then, And you are a master beekeeper. I know you're committed to answering questions, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know if Dave and Dorinda are ready for that. Wow. They, they, would they better get used to it because, That's you know, true. here in Illinois there are only two, and the other one is a is a professor that doesn't have, you know, the public doesn't have access to him, so the... The only one in Illinois, for all intents and purposes, is David, and everybody, everybody calls David. There are uh, even other bee companies, we found out, that were telling people, they're telling their customers to call us. <laughs> we just wish we'd gotten the business at the same time. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Uh, and, you know, that generates a lot of, when you're a master beekeeper, the media comes. We've had Fox News, local stations, a lot of newspapers. When they're looking for an answer on beekeeping, they they look up and they see master beekeepers. So 
Dave and Dorinda and the others that we, we actually uh, saw five more enter into being master beekeepers throughout the U.S., so that was neat that five passed. Sherry, a lot has gone on with uh, bees this year. Um, we're getting better at keeping bees. We're getting better at killing bees. Um, it's it's. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are listening probably thinking, hey, what, what brand new thing can you tell me about beekeeping and about keeping bees better? And it really hasn't changed that much. Uh, we're learning... Uh, minute, you know, things about bees. Uh, some of that is still being tested, and there's nothing in the works that's really going to dramatically change beekeeping in the next few years. Uh, there's not going to be another Langstroth come along anytime soon that will solve all of our problems. So the best thing I can say is just keep practicing good, good management and educate yourself well. Learn about the biology of bee. The more you know about the biology of the honeybee, the better beekeeper you'll be. So that's my advice to you. I did hear one thing that was kind of neat. You know, we've always wondered how the queen, when she flies out on her mating flight, knows to go to a drone congregation area where the drones hang out. Um, Jim, too, in Ohio, at Ohio, he writes for the American Bee Journal. Or is it Bee Culture? Uh, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's American Bee Journal. I think it's a bee culture. <laughs> Those are the two leading bee magazines, and I confuse them. But uh, he said he, they, someone suspects and are pretty convinced that it could be that when the queen flies out, she's escorted by a squadron of foragers that escorts her off to where the drone congregation areas are and escorts her back. you think that's a possibility? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. It seems like, you know, how would a queen that really doesn't go out and forage, how does she know where to go? And so maybe the workers know where all those drones are and they, they're able to take the queens out there and bring them back. I have seen in my yard, though, Sherry, when the queen goes out to mate, which is about a 14-minute outing, um, the bees inside oftentimes will go to the front of the hive and spray pheromones up in the air, and they'll fly out around the front of the hive to guide her back. Isn't that interesting mm -hmm. that they would put that much effort in to get that one queen back? And it doesn't sound like that she, they'd have an escort if they did something like that. And, you know, I was reading, I've got, I've got an, an old American Bee Journal from 1940, gosh, I think it was 1942. And they were talking about how they were, they were having a bee association meeting, I believe in Missouri someplace. And the gentleman at this association was showing them that a, that a queen can find her way back home. And, and she, he was taking the queens, and he was walking some distance from the hive, and he was letting go of them. Oh. And they were flying back, right back to their hives. So really? I don't know. I yeah. don't know about that escort thing. You know, when I was uh, teaching the last queen rearing class, it was a two-day class, you know, in Danville. What was that, a couple of weeks ago? And I was having, I was teaching people how to pick up a queen off the frame and mark them. And, and uh, Tony picked up a queen. We really made a lot of fun of him because he was, you know, he was trying to get a grip on her so he could mark her or do something to her. And uh, she just flew away. Oh. And it's very unlikely that a queen would fly away because they're pretty heavy when they're laying, you know. But who knows if she wasn't laying at the time or something, you know, hot weather, whatever. She was a little thinner. She flew. And she buzzed around the you know, seven or eight of us that are just standing there. And I said, be real still. She'll land on one of us. But she didn't. She just kind of left the area. Oh. Well, pretty soon another student says, hey, there's a queen outside on the front of that hive. So he went over there and picked her up. And I could tell it was from that 
I, that was her. She came back, so oh. she was a little bit off on her directions, but oh. at least she was there. So wow, yeah, it, it was. Interesting. Uh, it's interesting about those queens and where they fly around like that. Um, you know, Dustin in his queen yard, he has about he has fifty of those triplex or queen castle boxes. You know, over there he's got one hundred and fifty mating nooks. But he's had a few. It's kind of bothering him because the queen will go out and mate. She'll come back and. You know, they're just three three sections of three frames and, and a deep high body divided, you know, to keep the queen separated. But they've a lot of them have been going and landing on the bottom. And all the bees will collect on the bottom and be a big swarm hanging from a bottom of a deep box. He's had, he has his really high up in the air, you know, like three feet high. So I, I think, you know, Dustin's out there with a the bee vac trying to suck all these bees off. And I think it's kind of hard for him to do that, but... Yeah, we we came up with some ideas. I said maybe you could cut a little hole in the screen so if they land on the bottom, they just go up in one of those pockets. But then which one? You know, you'd never know. So it can be a challenge. Huh. The mitoate quick strips are making a big hit. Uh, this is the formic acid to kill mites, both trachea but mainly varroa mites. Some beekeepers are finding that they're it's killing a lot of brood. And the key there is watch your temperatures. Uh, I think it's got to be between 50-something and 93. It can't go very hot. And so you couldn't treat today, Sherry. It's too hot out there. The vapors would vaporize too fast, and that would cause more lethal effect on the brood area. And you got to have ventilation. It's better if you can maybe crack open the, uh, you know, space off the, the deeps a little bit where... And, and the upper super where there's a little bit of, you know, like slide them back so there's a little gap so the chemical can evaporate through there. But formic acid seems to be doing a good job on getting rid of, rid of a lot of mites. So uh, that's a new hit this year and, and these sorts of things. Sherry, I've got a lot of cool stuff still coming up. I've got an interview that I did with master beekeeper and physician uh, Buddy Martair. And he spoke at the AES on bee stings. That's a doctor. He's a surgeon. Oh, apotherapy. Well, not just that, but how people react. And I had a, oh. I did a little interview with him, and you haven't heard it yet. But should I should I play it now too? Or no. You really save it? Oh yeah, let's save it for the next. We'll we'll do it for the next podcast. Oh, everyone's going. That'll be months. Well, no, it won't. No, it won't. Not now. It won't. Not this time of year. Yeah, we just got swamped, didn't we? We just yeah. we couldn't breathe. You know, we like we like it. It was a good busy season. A lot of people got into beekeeping, but uh, we just couldn't squeeze much out of things to get a podcast going. But we'll get on that. So, so, so we'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and plan on. Uh, getting Buddy to talk about bee stings, but he, he said a lot of neat things. Uh, just Can I do a little teaser? He said if you're stung once, like if you want to know if you, am I allergic to bees, and you sting yourself, you might say, oh, good, I didn't react with an anaphylactic shock, you know, so therefore I'm okay. He said that's not true. It's the second sting. You n- no one ever reacts on the first thing. It's always the second sting. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, so you kind of really got to be stung twice before wow. you can wipe okay. So that would be a teaser. We'll look forward to Buddy telling us a lot about a doctor's point of view of bee stings. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Okay, Sherry. Well, we're going to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition, our August edition of Studio B Live, and hopefully we'll have a few more this month. It's only August the 3rd, and we've got to go because we need to celebrate our anniversary, <laughs> 31 years, and have fun. Will you take me for a ride on your motorcycle? 
Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I got I got I installed a sissy bar back there so you can rest back there with the little rest, you know, and have fun. I, and uh I've always had motorcycles. It's fun. Hmm. We'll kill a few bees with a big windshield maybe. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to let everybody go back to the beehive. That's where we're headed. We've got to raise some queens today. Thanks for joining us here at Studio Bee Live. Keep in tune to another edition. And by the way, we're on iTunes. You can Hi, Christian. You can Google uh, Studio Bee Live iTunes and get it on your smartphone. You know, just have it on your iPad, iPhone, and take us with you. And, and people uh, do take us with us. We've been hearing people who say, oh, yeah, I, I drive to work and listen to you. I work out at the Y while I'm walking on a treadmill listening to you. I don't know what else they're doing with us, but <laughs> they're doing all sorts of things with us. There you go. Take us with you. We want to go with you, okay? So tell your friends about Long Lane Honeybee Farms. We'd love for them to to become a customer, help us continue to make a living off of our honeybees. You do your part. Don't let us go broke. Buy something from us, you know. <laughs> oh, and yeah, we'll say this as a closing thing. You, you need to keep your eye on the website because we've got a brand new winter gadget that's oh, yeah. going to help you that that ventilates as it insulates, as it feeds your bees this winter. It is going to be a winter wrap system, but it's our exclusive d- design in Everyone's going to want one. Yep. And we named it. Yeah? We said it. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember, huh? Win- oh, yeah, no. winter be kind. Winter be kind. And so it insulates and it ventilates and it feedilates. <laughs> it feeds your bees, keeps them dry and insulated on the, on the top of your hive. So watch our website for that. That'd be good. So uh, I'm going to close up and just... So you'll know, call us at 217-427-2678 if you need to get a hold of us. And uh, you can check us out online at honeybeesonline.com where you can see our website, our blogs, and all of our lessons at honeybeesonline.com. This is Dave and Sherry Burns saying thanks for joining us. And uh, we got Christian here. And Christian, you need to tell all these people goodbye. Tell them bye-bye. Bye. See ya.